Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xe plug-in hybrid is built for the best of both worlds. For the city buzz, for the call of the wild, for finding solitude, for sharing memories, for day trips, and for far-roaming adventures. Because with gas and electric capability, the Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xe inspires you to explore more, to explore it all. Tap the banner to learn more. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. CeraVe facial moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores? With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. CeraVe facial moisturizers with SPF from the number one dermatologist recommended facial moisturizer brand. Welcome to the Bike Radar Meets podcast series. This is where we, as you might imagine, meet interesting and influential people from the bicycle industry. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. This is one of our Meets episodes where we have interviews with interesting and relevant people from the cycling industry. Back in the autumn, as part of a feature for Cycling Plus magazine, I travelled to the Boardman Performance Centre in Evesham. The Boardman team have put together, obviously, quite a nice showroom for their products, but they've also got a full training and physiology centre, as well as a cycling-specific wind tunnel. Most wind tunnels out there, which are used for the science of making bikes and and riders more aerodynamic, are designed for cars and aeroplanes. However, the Boardman wind tunnel is built specifically for bicycles, with lower wind speeds, as would be expected. The idea of the feature was to find free or cheap ways to increase my speed or reduce my drag with the idea of cutting the time in a 100-mile sportive. After setting some baselines, I went through various different bits of kit, such as helmet covers, shoe covers, and changing the kit I was wearing without going crazy on bicycle componentry. We also spent a lot of time looking at the position on the bike, and the results were actually very interesting. After my time in the wind tunnel, I sat down with Barney Wainwright, who's the head of science at the Boardman Performance Centre. We chatted through the results, and this is what we're going to play in this podcast. After chatting to Barney, I also spent some time with Lee, who is the lead physiologist at the Performance Centre. So if you go there, you can spend some time with all of these guys, A, perfecting maybe your position on the bike, and maybe testing some of the kit that you may or may not have and spend some time with scientists getting a full rundown of your physiological condition. It was a really fascinating day. What's interesting about the Boardman Performance Centre is that it is open to the public. It's not just for the pros. So if you've got a bit of cash and you really want to improve how fast you might be able to go on a bike, instead of dropping it on a new set of wheels, 
maybe it'd be worth thinking about going along and getting some time in the wind tunnel. It was a really interesting day. So here we are. First off, this is Barney Wainwright talking about the aerodynamics in the wind tunnel. So I'm here at the Boardman Performance Centre, um, and I've just spent the past morning in their wind tunnel, which has been really interesting. So here with one of their lead aerodynamicists. Hi, hi, Tom. I'm Barney Wainwright. Um, I'm the head of science here um, at the Boardman Performance Centre. I mainly spend most of my time here in the tunnel. Um, I do also do some bike fitting as well. So my real expertise, if you like, or what I spend most of my time doing is just helping people establish their best position for performance, really. So that's both from a biomechanical perspective to make sure someone's comfortable and producing power, but also aerodynamic as well. So we can look at all of those things to make sure that we're setting someone up in the most appropriate position for what they need. That might be comfort predominantly, it might be producing power, or it might be just for trying to go faster by reducing drag. Okay, so to sort of very quickly set the scene then, um, what we have is it's a wind tunnel designed specifically for bikes. Most of the wind tunnels out there are sort of ham-fisted, you stick a bike in there and and maybe the data's not quite so easy, but this one is, you've designed it for the bikes. How have you done that differently? Yeah, so it's designed with that in mind. So I guess the difference between other tunnels is that we're very specific around the, the the wind speeds we're working at, the operations. We don't have to work at high wind speeds for motor vehicles, for example. Um, also, the the volume of air is specific to a cyclist. It's not it's not so big that we can get vehicles in, and it's not so small that you can't even get a cyclist in it. So it means that for the range of speeds and conditions that we're interested in, um, we can make sure our data is um, very accurate and very precise and very reliable as well, which is really important for for, for our, our customers and cyclists to come and see us. Okay, so wind tunnels obviously have this uh, image of being, you know, it's pro only, you know, you, you see your, your, your Cavendishes in there, or, you know, specialised testing, the new Venge and all this sort of stuff. It's pretty high-end, cool stuff. But uh, Boardman, you've decided to go slightly different, and this is open to the public for regular people, right? Yeah, pretty much everyone. I mean, you just, anyone can go onto our website and, and go on the booking system and book book one of our many different sessions that we have here depending on your needs but um yeah we've we've tried to make it available we've tried to really work very carefully around the financial model to drop the prices so that literally you know you you can find um a service for your kind of price point yes it's for people who are interested um and have certain performance needs but actually it's a hopefully at a rate that's kind of attractive to to everyone but we literally cater for everyone from world tour riders one week to someone who's just only just bought their first bike the next week and just wants to really kind of get their position dialed in and everyone in between and it's really rewarding from that point of view because we we spend time with people with lots of different objectives and it's it's really interesting across the whole spectrum okay so just before we sort of talk about what we've done today like what is the you know i've spent a couple of hours in the wind tunnel perfecting sort of position and a few bits of kit on the bike and if i was you know a, a regular rider how much would that cost me um for what you did today um you probably go for our, our kind of standard product, which we call is Aero Focus, which is uh, a session just in the wind tunnel focused on your aerodynamics. That's um, and kind of a 90-minute session, and we can get through quite a few runs, similar to what we did today, really. And that can be for anyone from time trials to road cyclists. Um, but in that period, um, um, that's, I think, 395, 395 pounds on the website. But in that, in that period, you can make significant 
um, improvements on uh, on your on your position for your event, so significant performance improvements. But also sometimes it's helping you understand what bit of kit to choose, and you can actually save money that way. So we've got a bunch of helmets to try, little demo helmets, demo skin suits. We've obviously got our experience and knowledge about different bits of kit that's it's worth buying. So hopefully in that time, although it's a bit of bit of money you pay out, actually you go away knowing that you've you've invested in the right equipment. You know, you've not wasted money on kit that's not going to work for you. And you're just more informed at the end of it. So that knowledge will take you forwards for the next few years of cycling so you would understand what works for you, which is often different to other people. Cool. Okay, so this morning then I've jumped on um, a mid-range Boardman road bike, um, which they had here. Um, my initial setup was, I guess, pretty um, amateur cyclist, if you want to call it like that. Had some baggy shorts on, some mountain bike shoes, um, and I had a rain jacket on because, you know, it could have been quite cold outside. Um, and we got some baseline tests. And then what we've done is, over the course of the morning, um, I've gone down to, I guess, a more uh, enthusiast or sort of higher level of cycling clothing, so a nice tight set of Lycra, um, put the road shoes on, um, done various other little bits and pieces, including shaving my legs, which as a diehard mountain biker was pretty difficult to do, but uh, worth it for the cause. Um, so one of the things we're going to quickly do is have a quick look at the different things that have made the most difference. Overall, I think we did about 15 or 16 different runs. Um, obviously, some of them didn't make a massive difference. We tried things like changing the bottles in there. Um, but hopefully, uh, we can have a little look and see what's made the bigger differences. So the way we've set up the test was to effectively have me riding at 35 kilometers an hour. Um, and we've decided that we're going to time it over a 100-mile sportive. So this in its original setup with sort of quite an upright sat position. So my hands on the tops and wearing, you know, like the, the baggy jacket, the baggy shorts and, you know, nothing particularly aero. It was about four and a half-ish hours worth of riding. Is that right? Yeah, that, that'd be about right. Okay. So obviously the first thing, well, we, we did a few things, you know, we, we zipped up the jacket, which is flapping around um, and half zipped it. And that didn't make a massive difference. But the, the biggest first sort of kick of difference was, is removing the waterproof, uh, the windproof jacket. And that gave us a saving of, of about six minutes over the sort of entire ride. So it's, it's a saving, but not a massively significant one. Yeah. So, uh, so I guess the first thing to say is what, what we've done here with this is, um, is obviously we're measuring the changes in, in drag. And we'll be able to we're able, able to then use that information to understand how much impact that would have on the speed and therefore the time it would take to complete that sportive. So um, that is if you maintain the same power up all the way through. So if nothing else changed, you're just changing the 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 jacket in this case. What what happens? So yeah, for so essentially here, if you want if you did the sportive with the jacket all the time, and then you took it off. Then and you repeated the whole thing, you'd be going six minutes quicker, six minutes and one second quicker if without the jacket. Um, and it's quite important as to to what extent you zip that up, because I think on one of them you only zipped up kind of partially, and that actually um, didn't really make that much difference. But as soon as we zipped it up quite a lot, then then that actually made quite a big difference and reduced the drag. But obviously taking it off altogether was yeah, it was about uh, six minutes, and then. Then the next one really that was significant was if we actually changed out of your your initial kit, cycling kit, um, which is a bit of a baggier jersey, baggier shorts, and we changed that to kind of a proper road jersey and bib shorts, which was obviously closer fitting. 
Um, I think we also switched, switched out from a set of kind of mountain bike road shoes to a set of kind of um, proper road shoes, if you like, um, with a bit bit smoother and dials on the front rather than Velcro tabs and all the rest of it. Um, then that that reduced it a little bit further again. So that overall was a about a um, uh, that's like a, a twenty second change, I guess, from where we had before. We got a six minute improvement with removing the jacket, and then another six oh, sorry, minutes. Yeah, yeah. I'm not reading that right. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that's uh, yeah, six minutes from that one as well. So changing out from the windproof jacket from from your original kit to then a set of um, proper jersey and bib shorts. That was that was a six minute improvement again, six minutes twenty over that. So that's just not changing any any kit or anything like any position of changes, just changing that kit. So same helmet and everything improves by six minutes. So that's that's quite considerable. Probably the next next big change we had was then when we asked you to change position. So from a kind of a straight straightish arm position up on the on the tops of your, of your bars to then going on to the hoods with a slightly bent arm position. So one that you could probably you could some people will be holding that for the whole duration. You might want to swap between those positions a little bit. But if you held that for the whole way round, that was nearly an 18-minute improvement just from changing that position. So, so that just brought a, really the trunk angle a bit lower, the head a little bit lower as well, and, and reduced frontal area. That's really what that's down to. And we, we were chatting um, before we started recording about the different types of, of drag. We've got this, the, the pressure drag, is that right? That's right. And then there's another one, like a more... Um, friction drag. A friction drag. And so the pressure drag is, I guess, the one which is the most obvious that you know most people will be able to visualise. It's, say, the frontal area, the, the wind hitting your body. And you can notice that changes when you change your position of the body. Yeah, that, that's right. And it all comes down to that frontal area, a lot of it, and, the, and also the shape as well. So how aerodynamic that shape is. And what we're trying to do all the time is create a, a position and a, which then creates a shape which um, creates less turbulence. I mean, we're always going to get turbulence in cycling. We're not, you know, we're we're not a teardrop shape or an airfoil shape, anything like that. We're a combination of things that's constantly moving. But there's certain things we can do that will reduce the turbulence. And, and one of the key ones is, is actually just making a, a smaller frontal area as possible. And obviously, that's from a practical perspective. When you're on the bike, it's actually also trying to make something that's also comfortable to ride as well. So you're always balancing these kind of things against each other. Okay, so so long as you can keep a comfortable, more aero position, that is something that doesn't cost anything to go a little bit faster. One of the next things we changed was the helmet. So I had, you know, a normal road helmet on. We tried, it was an, a um, laser one, which comes with like a plastic fairing you can put on. But we also tried a Limar Aero helmet, um, the Limar Airspeed. It didn't have a massive effect, but I think if you're in the market for a new helmet anyway, do you reckon it's worth going for an aero-based helmet these days? I think it really depends on, on what your, your aims and objectives are. Um, obviously, as the, the speeds increase, we often see that helmets make more and more of a difference. But as well, it, it depends on how you're holding that helmet. Um, if you've got if you're someone who likes to kind of look down at the road quite a lot, um, often the helmet's not in the best orientation. So the differences between the helmets is, is not always that big. You know, they're not optimally designed for that. It's more on a bit of a tucked down um road um kind of road racing position um so i think if you're a road racer and you you're working at high speeds then then definitely helmets is a huge option i think when it comes to these longer sportives i think what's important is ventilation particularly the sportives are in in hotter climates where keeping keeping cool and maintaining like controlling your core temperature important and and weight as well and obviously the safety aspect of that as well so i think there's a number of things but but yeah if you're trying to look at all aspects then 
then helmets can be a, a, an option to, to improve your performance for sure. Okay. Now the next one, there's always been a bit of a myth going around that, you know, shaving your legs is, is just for looks. Uh, maybe it's just for your embrocation to make massages a bit easier. Um, but I started with hairy legs and I, I got my trimmer out and I didn't do a perfect job, but I did trim my legs midway through the test. I also gave my little facial hair a little bit of a trim too, just because well, I was there and I needed to do it anyway. There has been a difference. We did notice an eight watt difference from non-shave to shave legs. And this translated to a saving of just over four minutes in a four and a half hour or 100 mile sportive. So if you've got hairy legs, get them shaved, I reckon. Is that fair? Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and this is something that we, we see from time to time. We haven't done a whole lot of testing on it because most of our people come, uh, you know, have, have already shaved their legs anyway. But, um, but yeah, certainly in this case, um, just over four minutes, um, and, that, and actually for you as well, when we did this test, you actually had some quite long socks on. So probably half of your lower leg was was covered. Um, so if you imagine we'd seen, you know, we didn't have long socks on, you might have had an even bigger improvement. Um, and I don't think your legs were particularly hairy. Like we, we do see people with um, much hairy legs and that around. So I think it's all scalable. But yeah, certainly that's it's worth doing, isn't it? Yeah, and it doesn't really cost anything, especially if uh, someone else in your household has got a razor, you can go and nab anyway, or your facial one, whatever. All right, so next up, um, if you go and doing a sportive, you quite often do get a number board. Now, we've spent quite a bit of time here, you know, shaving your legs, getting an aero helmet, um, and then what you're going to go and do, slap a big number board on the front of the bikes, and it did have a negative effect as well. Yeah, this is, a, is an interesting one. I mean, it's something just, you know, from my personal experience, I really struggle with, just as you say, you know, you, you get on a start line of a sportive, and, you know, the night before you get all your kit and your number, and it's like, wow, you've got this massive big plank on the front. What are you going to do with it? So I always end up like chopping mine down a bit, and quite a few people do. But but in this case, this was probably a, a medium-sized uh, num- number board that, that you'd get quite typically at a sportive. Um, and yeah it, it basically costs you two and a half minutes so if you didn't if you did the same course without it and you did all everything exactly the same um you'd have gone two and a half minutes quicker without it than with it so um again there's probably some stuff to do you know just be aware of that so if you're you know if you finally do an event and you're going slower than you thought you would for that you know over that distance or your speeds are struggling to get up or you're not as fast on descents as you were before then probably the number plate the number board on the front has got a lot to do with that okay and then the final one we sort of looked at, we just had a little play around um, again with body position. So we've gone into like a, we went from a, an upright position into a, an effectively a more sustainable, more aerodynamic position. And then uh, just for the hell of it, we tried to get super aero, as aero as possible. So down on the drops, and we also tried horizontal forearms on the hoods, and then into like a, a full TT position where I'm, you know, resting your forearms on the tops. And here again, like we saw earlier, there's some quite significant boosts in in aero efficiency. Yeah, absolutely. And this is all linked back to what we were talking before around this kind of frontal area and changes. So whenever you can get a position or adopt a position where your your frontal area is smaller, in general that that has a a, a direct impact to kind of drag and, and speed. Not always, and that's just something you need to be be aware of. Um, but essentially um, that that's what was happening. So so when you drop down from your kind of more aero position on your on your hoods um, to the drops, so now your trunk's a little bit lower, then then that was about another three and a half minutes saving on that more aerodynamic position, and then actually when you did a little play around at the end and you as you know some you see some of the the pro guys doing 
where they've effectively put their rested their forearms on their tops, adopted kind of a like a pseudo TT position without the, the the extensions on. Then that was probably on top of that. That was about another another eight and a half nine minutes, something like that. So, um, and again, that's just directly reducing that frontal area. And obviously, if you're adopting that, you've got to be really careful on the roads and practice it and make sure it's on on a good stretch where you don't have to do much steering with no bumps in the road. But but that can have a huge performance impact as well. And I guess, you know, I know sort of from having ridden on the road, you know, a fair bit, moving position from one to another does help, you know, if you're in the saddle for a long time. So there's no harm in sort of dropping into those more aero positions for a little bit and then dropping out of one that's a bit less aero as well. So, yeah, I think really it's, um, oh yeah, so we're saving, what are we saving there? Um, well, I just uh, yeah, just pointing out really, I think from when you started, you know, mm-hmm. if you take your kind of transition from maybe someone who's who's not really thinking about our dynamics and not really looking at their position or their equipment, from the very start with some baggyish clothing to an upright position, by the time we'd gone made all those changes with with kind of um, uh, with with different kit, moving different jerseys, um, shaving your legs put the number plate on, this is including as well, but moving into a kind of a drop position, then then overall we're, we're looking at kind of, you know, 38-ish kind of minutes um, improvement overall. So now now that kind of four and a half hour sportive is really getting to be, you know, whatever, you know, three three hours 40, something like that. So um, it's, uh, sorry, I said three and a half, yeah, four and a half hours to three hours 40, something like that. Then that that becomes quite realistic. You know, all these little changes you can make actually do add up quite significantly over such a long, um, over over such a long period of time and a long distance. So it's really worth paying the attention to these small things because most of the stuff we've done today has has been very, either very low cost or just being selective over what equipment you choose, um, or it's been free. You know, so it's it, it's definitely worth doing. Okay, I and mean, that's probably been the most interesting thing from the session. You know, it's. Very often on, you know, in the bike media, you see all these fancy wheels, you know, you spend a couple of grand on a pair of like deep section carbon wheels or, you know, get yourself an aero bike. Whereas, you know, I'm not, you know, this isn't an advert for Boardman, but you could spend a couple of grand upgrading your kit and get really quite minimal sort of changes. Or you could spend, you know, spend 400 quid, come to a wind tunnel, which is a pretty cool experience anyway. And, but, you know, you've dropped 40 minutes off a, off a sportive and that's at least a couple of pints down while you wait for your mates who haven't done this isn't it you know yeah absolutely so yeah i think that's been yeah really interesting and, and really informative there's there will be sort of features on on bike radar about what we've done and also in cycling plus so keep an eye out on that but yeah have a look at you know the options out there and do have a think about your aerodynamics so that was my chat with barney about my time in the wind tunnel at the boardman performance center before we crack on with my chat with Lee, who is the lead physiologist there, don't forget to subscribe to the Bike Radar podcast. And if you can, leave us a rating too, it really helps. We have a podcast every Monday going out, whether it's an interview like this, a panel discussion about something to do with road or mountain biking, or our Road Tech Talk series, which is currently running. This is a more in-depth look at various technical aspects of road cycling. Have a look through previous episodes as well if you're more into the mountain biking. We did a great mountain bike tech talk series with myself and Seb, and we delved really deeply into some pretty interesting topics. So here we are. This is Lee, lead physiologist at the Boardman Performance Centre. So I'm at the Boardman Performance Centre up near Birmingham, and I'm with Lee, who's the lead physiologist here. Hi there, guys. Uh, My name's Lee, and what I do here at the centre is 
look at areas of health and fitness to help people out on their bikes to best prepare for whatever their ambitions are on the bike. Okay, so we, we, we thought we'd just have a quick chat about some, you know, theories behind training. Um, a lot of people don't maybe don't spend a lot of time thinking about how to get fitter and faster, but probably get a lot of benefit when they are fitter and faster because it, it helps, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. I mean, the, the very basic concept, we are biological systems. So, you know, if you have a stress, you get an adaptation. Uh, and largely my job is to make sure that the stress that we're giving to the body is the most appropriate stress for them to, you know, do what they want to do. Okay, so, you know, to a large extent, what we do in the lab is, you know, collect data and put people through a series of tests to understand where are the, their stress points for different durations on the bike. Okay, so I could come along, you know, and you'd sit me on, is it a watt bike or something similar? Um, put a face mask on me and, and effectively measure how fit and how strong I am. And then from there, that's what you do f to start with. And then what would, what would you do from there sort of thing? Yeah, so that's correct. So we use an ergometer. It can be any any ergometer. We do use the, the water bike here. Um, and we use the, the face mask that you're referring to there. And that's to collect gas data because mm -hmm. that tells us how the body is responding to, to that exercise stress. So um, what we're doing is looking for, you know, primarily um, we're measuring how your physiology, for want of a better expression, but basically the different systems of the body, uh, how they react to an increasing intensity. And where we transition to slightly different areas of our kind of energy systems tells us how long you should be able to sustain an effort for a given period of time. Okay. And so as a member of the public, I could come on and get all this done. I don't have to be a pro or anything like that. No, exactly. So we work, you know, right through that range. Uh, most of our staff experiences in the kind of elite uh, sporting system in the UK. But, you know, it's it's really good fun to work with a complete range. You know, we work from with first time sportive riders right through to the pros. Uh, and that's great fun because, you know, when you work with the elite, sometimes they trudge into the lab. It's a bit of a busman's holiday, you know, and they're thinking, oh, another one of these tests. But actually what we get now is, you know, the very enthusiastic, serious amateurs and amateurs. And that's really rewarding in itself. Yeah. And then could you then get a training plan sort of set out for whatever you're aiming to do? So what we what we try to do here is actually educate on, um, you know, what's happening when we're on the bike. And by providing, you know, key markers like thresholds, for example, that's empowering the individual to actually go away and work at those intensities. So we're not a coaching service per se. We don't have that day-to-day -day relationship, um, but we're helping people understand about themselves as an individual uh, and then, you know, take that out onto their bike to, to help them get better. Okay, so let, let's assume though that um, we're not quite so invested in, in the, our ability to, to come to one of these things, or we, you know, maybe it's something down the line. Can you give us some idea of, uh, as a recreational cyclist or you know, a sportive rider, any sort of thing they should be looking out for, any mistakes they're making you know, that they might be doing as they're trying to get fitter? Yeah, it's a great question. So I'd say you know, from my experience, the biggest mistake is uh, just the control of intensity. So if you ask a lot of, you know, amateurs, they'll, they'll, they'll know enough to know what they should be doing. Uh, and most of the time where it falls down is either, you know, exercising at the wrong intensity because you don't have an accurate intensity that you should be working at for the kind of uh, adaptation that you want. But largely, sometimes it can just be poor discipline in the training. So you know that, you know, 80% of your time should be at the lower end of your physiology. 
working in those lower zones and 20% should be on the more kind of high intensity type stuff. But it's it's all too easy to, you know, go out on what should be a nice, easy light day. And because we've all got that little competitive streak within us, uh, just push on that bit more. Uh, that taxes the legs more. And then the, the very next day when you're due to do your, you know, your high intensity effort for the week, it's just unattainable, you know. And before you know it, everything kind of comes into that gray area in the middle uh, and it's all quite muddled. So I'd say, yeah, the, the biggest kind of generic piece of advice I could give would be really to just, you know, stick, you know, have that discipline and stick to the training plan that you have, yeah. Okay, and if you have cyclists of different disciplines, I presume you work with, say, sprinters or, you know, ultra-long distance Ironmen, you know, is there much difference between sort of the training you recommend for those different people and, and how would you sort of tailor this testing you do and what you suggest to them? Yeah, sure. So yeah, that's a really good question. Um, there would definitely be different elements to the training. You know, the same underlying principles, you know, stand to reason. But what you're doing is actually figuring out, well, what are the determinants of their discipline? You know, because that will be different to, you know, f for an ultra, you know, endurance type athlete to a sprint type athlete. We know that, you know, what affects performance is different. So we have to train those individual areas uh, that just stands to reason that's specificity at the end of the day. Um, and what we do, you know, as our kind of core offering here, the physiology performance product, that one is about building a profile of the individual. Okay. So we will collect data to, you know, understand all of these different parameters. And that's what helps us to, you know, recommend what, what's the best discipline for that individual. So we don't want to shatter dreams and say, oh, look, you have to be on the track, you know, but they absolutely love going up the hills out on the road. But sometimes we have people come to us and say, look, I just want to be the best I can be, you know, so where should I invest my time? You know, so uh, we can we can work to all those different kind of objectives. But uh, that's what we do in the lab here. I was going to actually ask like the next sort of thing was physiologically speaking can you look at someone and be like ah that person is going to be you know good at doing xyz just from having like a vague glance at their their body shape body form yeah it's, it's it can be a little bit of a red herring but you know just looking at someone's kind of anatomy and anthropometry you could you could hazard a guess as to you know what they're doing i mean if chris hoy was to walk into the lab you know I wouldn't be telling him to become a GC rider, you know. Um, so there are some <laughs> some rules that apply in that world. But um, you, you'd also be surprised, you know, sometimes what's, what's underneath. Um, I think a really interesting bit about my job is, you know, look at everyone out on the street, you know. We're all massively different on the outside. And that's just the same on the inside. You know, people take it for granted that what's on the inside is, is very consistent between people. And it's not, you know, we've all got different strengths and weaknesses, um, and it's about what, understanding what are those weaknesses for the individual, because that's what we're going to take advantage of. You know, As a, from a, a recreational side of things, is having you know likes of power meters and all this sort of data that is available, is it easy to get too bogged down in that sort of stuff? Can you know can you make good gains without having to get super nerdy and geeky about it and, and spending quite a substantial amount of money on tech? Yeah, so that's that's really important concept because at the end of the day, you know, I'm always working with an individual. Different people have different feelings towards data, you know. To some people, you know, me giving them a little bit of data, that's, that could still constitute death by data, you know. So we have to, you know, very quickly understand, well, 
how much data does this individual like? You know, some people will do it by feel and they just want a few kind of pointers to add on top. So things they know to look for, whereas other people absolute data badges, you know, and they just want more and more and more. So you just need to, to help that individual have what they require to, to, you know, achieve their ambitions on the bike. And presumably help them understand as well. Like the, the, we had a quick chat earlier on about, you know, the range of things that you can measure, you know, FTP, VO2 max and all that. I guess if I went and did that now and you threw all the stuff, I wouldn't understand really what you're talking about. So I guess it's the interpretation of the data is also key with that. Yeah. So the, the key nuts and bolts are, you know, one to collect rigorous data, but exactly like you say, we have to educate people on the day as to what we're doing and why that's important because you know when you're out on the road if i've given you a tough session you're out on the road and it is tough you're thinking do i know what I, why i'm doing this because if you understand the process the buy-in is going to be so much better uh, and that's a really important part of you know the education um so we we kind of drip feed information you learn stuff on the day then you receive a report, which is again is educational and kind of user friendly. And then we follow that up with a final phone call just to make sure that everything has landed and that you can, you know, we can bring it to life for you as an individual and say, well, these are the actions going forwards. Okay. Could you just quickly talk us through like the process of what you'd do during, you know, like a the session that you'd have with you? What 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 do you do? Yeah, sure. So there's quite a few different nuts and bolts. So we, we kick off with resting elements, so health elements. Okay, so we would look at your blood pressure, your height, your body composition, so your classic kind of uh, body fat percentage, lean mass, visceral fat, things like that. We then look at some resting blood chemistries. So there we're looking at hemoglobin, uh, hematocrit, okay, so markers of uh, risk of anemia, so oxygen carrying capacity, basically. Uh, we also look at resting cholesterols, okay, uh, resting glucose, so real health kind of status type checks. And then finally on the resting side, we look at your, your lung function. So how big are the lungs and how well do they work under forced conditions? Because that gives us a great insight into what we might see during exercise. Um, now, you know, everyone usually graduates from that with flying colors and then we go onto the bike. When we go on to the bike, we start submaximal and we go through to the shorter and sharper stuff. Um, the first two elements, so we have a step test, which is where you, you start at low intensity and the power goes up in steps, just as it's called, like, like the name. Uh, and the key bit here is we're looking at blood lactate concentration and also gas data, because those things individually can tell us about the thresholds for that individual. Uh, but we use them as a, you know, a combination to give us real accuracy in the process. Um, and this is the test which will give you your lactate threshold and your lactate turn point, which are essentially your three hour power and your one hour power. OK. OK. Uh, and just just to um, say on that piece, you know, lots of people will come into us and say, oh, can I do FTP testing? You know, FTP in itself is uh, doing a 20 minute TT to give you an estimation of your hour power. So what we do is we measure, you know, physiological parameters to tell us about those thresholds, you know, specifically to an individual. At the end of the day, FTP, not to knock FTP, FTP is great in terms of telling you whether you're getting better or worse, but it is a 20 minute TT at the end of the day. So there are a few assumptions in there um, and that can cause some, you know, errors in terms of what you actually deliver out on the road, basically. Okay, cool. So if you were to come to the performance center, 
it's in Evesham near Birmingham, right? Um, there's the physiological side of things. There's a bike fit lab as well. And there's also a wind tunnel, which is open to the public. So very sort of briefly, you know, might as well advertise the place. What what could you as a punter come and, and do uh, at this place? Yeah, so just like you said, you know, you could do you know something in one of those areas or you could do bits in each of those different areas. Uh, and the reason that those three areas exist here is because it's very purposeful. We know that all of those have an effect on cycling performance. So we thought, hey, let's put them all under one roof. Uh, and that's really the USP of the place, you know. Uh, we have a, an interdisciplinary team who can, you know, com communicate with each other to make sure that for an individual working across the different components, you know, they get true kind of flow through all those areas. Uh, and it's it's joined up thinking to make sure that performance opportunities are maximized, basically. Okay, so you could come with your bike, make sure your bike fits you properly, then have a, a chat with you guys, make sure your body's in shape, and then jump into the wind tunnel to perfect your position on the bike and any bits of kit that you got to make you the most effective cyclist possible. Yeah, exactly that. So, um, you know, like you said, bike fit is a great place to start because that's making sure you're in, you know, an optimal position to help you deliver power at the pedal. Uh, make sure we're not wasting any energy, you know, with kind of lateral movement at the pedals, for example. Uh, and also make sure you're comfortable because an effort has to be sustainable, you know, uh, for, for any, you know, cycling of, of endurance kind of nature. Um, then, as you say, you could come into the wind tunnel and understand, you know, what tweaks could be made to that position within your kind of parameters of, you know, your range of movement uh, to make you more slippery through the air in, in simple terms. Uh, and the physiology is there to say, well, you know, what for this position, you know, how long can you sustain, you know, this position and what what's you know are you working to in that position um and also kind of profiling to say over time you're obviously an ambition is going to be to deliver more watts so you know helping you with ideas to to do that cool and that's all available as a package i've been down here this morning i've done a bit of time in the winter and it was really interesting um so yeah if you are sort of a keen cyclist and you want to get a bit better you want to get a bit fitter go a bit faster you know instead of dropping a couple of grand on some fancy carbon wheels have a think about maybe dropping a few hundred quid and coming down and getting yourself sorted out before you drop money on tech that might only get you a few extra watts here and there cool well thanks very much and uh yeah thank you Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bye.